Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Nerdwide Podcast. This is episode 106. I'm your host, Tyler Haynes, and we are fresh off the Oscars, and this is my co-host, Mr. Chris Rivers. And Chris and I, spoiler alert, got to hang out together today and yeah. wait on corn dogs and watch Shazam 2. <laughs> and it's, we'll get to it, but... Don't listen to uh, to the critics out there. It's yeah. way better than people are saying. It's, to the point before we were even talking in the pre-show, I want to go back and watch it again. And yeah. it's I'm just have to wait for the steel book to come out. But uh, this is one that I want to keep watching, which is weird because it hasn't been a... I can't tell you the last Marvel property where I left the theater and said, I want to watch that again. And ain't man, no. Spider-Man. Okay, so was that that was twenty twenty one though? Because that was December, yeah. and yeah, that was November. Which, but that's Phase Four for you. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, qu- quick housekeeping: we got a lot of TV shows to talk about, a lot of which I'm excited about, and one I am not. But we'll get there before then. Quick housekeeping. Don't forget to subscribe to either our YouTube or podcasting service of your choice. If you enjoy the show, make sure you leave us a thumbs up on YouTube or give us a good rating, usually a five if you want to go that route on whatever podcasting app you do use. If you don't enjoy the show or see what you hear or see, make sure you leave us a comment down below. We can't improve the show, uh, can't make improvements or any of that kind of stuff. We can't don't know what's wrong unless you tell us what's wrong down in the comments. And we appreciate it if you do leave us some good criticism and feedback there. Don't be a dick. You know, that's just how most things are. If you want to do more, you can always go to patreon.com slash nerdwide. Three different tiers for three different monetary values. Uh, a lot of fun there. If you want to show, you know, subscribe to us on, on Patreon, become a patron. You get a shout out every episode. You tell us what you want us to watch and see, review, that kind of thing. So if you always want to go that route, you can always do that. But Chris, Early we... Access. Yes. Early access. But we, listen, we had the Oscars last week. We had a very quick episode. And this is my first Oscars watching. So, of course, we'll get there when we get to the movie section of our show. But other than that, I know how today went. And I know how last Sunday night went. But from that span of a week there, how else has your week been? First off, today's cold. Mm-hmm. So, I'm, I'm not, for mid-March, I'm not happy with that. And tomorrow's the first day of spring. And it's in the 20s and flurrying here in Nashville, yeah. Tennessee. So, um, no work. Uh, work was pretty good. Um, we'd been a little light, so I actually got out of there half night on Friday. Ooh, and came home and did absolutely nothing. So I mean, that's how it usually goes. That's how yeah. I've been lately with work. It's just I, I feel so exhausted. Like, I just go, I just sit down, and, like, I watch a little bit of TV, scroll through my phone some more. At about 7 o'clock, because I get up real early in the morning, about 7 o'clock comes around, I'm like, yeah, you know what, I could go to bed. Yeah. And usually do. But uh, this week hadn't been too crazy. I'm trying to think. No, not a, not a crazy week at all. This one coming up is going to be. I work this next coming weekend, so that's going to take up some of my time. But other than that, it's just been a normal week i guess if you will well except for friday which was tragic but anyways have you been watching any other tv before we jump into our episodes here not really no Hmm. no i'm I'm very boring 
Yeah. No, it's all right. You know, uh, we watched the only thing notable different. We watched Ted Lasso season three, episode one. It's, I mean, it's just more Ted Lasso and yeah. it's the last season and it's going to be good. It already was very, uh, I don't know, emotional heavy a little bit. You can see where they're going with some of these plot points. In some ways, I hope they don't go with some of them, but that's how they always do. They lead you in one direction and go the complete opposite. But that's how are it you is. happy? Are you happy as a fan of that that they're ending it with season three and going out on top, or would you rather them? Uh, I'd rather them go out on their own terms. And yeah. it, it's crazy because it's a show that makes a lot of money for Apple Plus and Apple TV, whatever you want to call it, which is great, but. I would hate for them to drag out storylines and things like that and lose what makes it special. And they're like, Hey, we're done. We're, we're telling the stories we want to tell. And once that's done, we don't want to drag it out, which I, I am a okay with. And Bill Lawrence gets that. Uh, Jason Sudeikis gets it. All of everybody that's, you know, included gets it. So I am, I'm fine with it. They've also got shrinking, which is by the same people and some of the yeah. same executive producers. So, which they've only done one season. They got signed on for season two, like two weeks ago. So if you want that kind of feel, you could go that way as well. But speaking of Phil, let's talk about it. It's been exactly one week since this episode went live, and we have no more episodes for a while. That is The Last of Us, Episode 9, full-on spoilers for the whole show and for the whole first video game right now. We're going to tvline.com by Kimberly Roots once again. I'm going to try and cut out her um, her own personal thoughts and opinions here, just so I have just a clean recap. A pregnant woman wearing a yellow dress and tennis shoes runs through the woods, arrives at a house, and quickly barricades herself inside an upstairs bedroom, sitting on the floor with her back against the wall. The woman is in labor, the house is under attack, and after we hear screams and clicker sounds, an infected woman busts to the door and goes straight for the mother-to-be, which this is also a nice point to put out. This is Ashley Johnson who is Ellie in The Last of Us, part one and part two, which is really weird because it's Ellie's mom, which is, she said in an interview, I don't know if it was the one, uh, the recap post the episode, but she said it's kind of it's kind of cool because it's Ellie giving birth to Ellie. And she goes, it's kind of weird to say that because I've already said it before because I am Ellie. And, you know, it's a different meaning. You know, she's making a character. But this one, she's birthing the character. So it's kind of kind of cool, and I like how they did it this way. Um, she has a knife in her hand. You recognize it as Ellie's knife from uh, earlier on in the season. But when a contraction comes on strong, she drops the weapon. She manages to get a hold of it once more and kill the infected. And she's so focused on survival that she doesn't realize until after she's given birth and the baby is crying on the floor that she has been bitten on her leg. She cuts the umbilical cord and picks up her daughter. She says, yeah, you tell him, effing little Ellie. Tell him, Ellie. The woman says, crying as she cradles the infant. And now it's probably a good time to know. Okay, uh, we already saw, said that. When Marlene and a man get to the house, they find the woman, whose name is Anna, in the same spot. Marlene reckon, apologizes for being late, saying they couldn't get out of the QZ. Anna explains that Ellie needs to eat. She didn't want to nurse her after she was bit. Afraid of, um, of course, getting her infected because we don't know if uh, nursing does pass on the disease. We really don't know. Uh... Let's see, she lies and says she cut the cord before the attack, then instructs Marlene to bring Ellie to Boston and give her the knife. Marlene says, no crying, but Anna is resolute. How long have we known each other? Our whole lives, Marlene says. That's why you pick her up right now, and then you kill me. Though Marlene initially refuses, she eventually hangs the baby off to her companion and shoots Anna before the cordyceps can turn her. 
Listen, the little companion guy with the fireflies, terrible. She says, make yeah. sure you cover her ears and didn't. I'm no. like, all right. You know, she told you to do one You're thing. Fired. It's not hard, you know. Right. <laughs> In the present day, Ellie is not 100% herself after the worst afternoon ever spent at a steakhouse. She's quiet. She's a little spaced out. And Joel has to call her name several times before she realizes he's talking to her. They're on a highway full of stopped cars with Ellie quieter than normal. Joel seems to have taken it upon himself to fill the verbal void, which is really cool and completely opposite of what um, the very first episode was with Ellie and him. Uh, complete 180, and you can see how much their um, their relationship has grown over this past year, I think is what it is in the game. Um, let's see. He talks about how maybe they can find a guitar and he could teach her how to play. When she's slow to respond, his Ellie is so worried. We've said it before. Um, again, like there's so much of their own feelings in here from Kimberly. Uh, she reads the concern in his tone and replies with false happiness. Yeah, she says smiling. That'd be great. When he calls her out later on her, uh, her reticence, she says she's fine. They eventually get to a building or barely inside before Ellie starts scampering up levels like she's in Super Mario Brothers. When Joel eventually catches up to her on a high floor, he's surprised to see a giraffe eating from a tree that's grown into the structure. Ellie whispers not to scare the animal. He rips off some leaves and hands them to her so she can feed it. She giggles as the giraffe snacks on what she's offering. He's very obviously thinking thoughts while watching her have a moment of pure joy. Real giraffe, by the way, from uh, one of the zoos. I forget where it was. It was somewhere up north uh, near Oregon. Maybe the Oregon State Zoo or something like that. But what they did was a whole bunch of blue screens around it and they were standing on the platform and feeding. It was really cool and was obviously one of the biggest moments in the game and such a touching moment with Joel to Ellie. And I'm really, I knew they were going to put it in here and I'm glad they did. And I'm glad they used a real animal because that could have been weird. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Eventually, the animal moves and she climbs to the terrace to watch it reunite with some of its friends. And while she's happily witnessing the drive hang out, Joel brings up the risk involved what could happen at the hospital. He says, we don't have to do this. I just want you to know that. Uh, he says they could go back to Jackson where they could forget about the whole damn thing. But she's convinced that this is her purpose. She says, after everything we've been through, everything I've done, it cannot be for nothing. She acknowledges that he wants to protect her and he has protected her. And the way she talks about their future as though there's no doubt she'll stick with them is a... Uh, is incredibly moving, Kimberly says. I'll follow you wherever you go, she says, but there's no halfway with this. We finish what we started. And what really can Joel do but not his agreement with this? When they arrive at the hospital, they see the ruins of a triage tent outside. Ellie wonders if it was a federal thing, but he says no. The Army put up a med emergency medical camps everywhere right after the outbreak. When he mentions that he was a patient at one, she assumes he was there with the, her daughter. Sarah? No, she was already gone, he says. Um, let's see... He was at the camp for his ear injury, which re resulted from a near miss from a gunshot on the second day after the outbreak, which we had a tease of this a couple episodes ago. Or was it two episodes? Um, let's see. Ellie jokes that the army medic stitched him up better than she did, but he's very serious as he stops walking and confesses that he tried to kill himself. It was me, he says. I was the guy who shot and missed. There's no story. Sarah died, and I couldn't see the point in this anymore. Simple as that, and I wasn't scared either. I was ready. I couldn't have been more ready. Um, he says he flinched as he pulled the trigger, trigger, and he still has no idea why. Beautiful. Like This was an absolutely beautiful moment. This is not talked about in the game. And it's just, it's, it's wonderful. Like Pedro and Bella's acting, when they're sitting on this little stone girder, was so good and so genuine. And I just, I want them in everything from now on. And anytime there's a father-daughter show, just put them in it. 
Um, she knows why he's telling her this, and she's certainly taking the admission seriously, but she attempts to lie at the moment by joking that time heals all wounds. Um, let's see, but you know who wants the... Let's see, Joel, who's Joel, who's barely held back tears away from Vela, behind a bear hug. It wasn't time that did it, Joel says, his voice thick and his eyes classy. She says, well, I'm glad that it didn't work out. He says, me too. A very touching moment. Oh, so good. Mm-hmm. Joel jokes about wanting to hear some bad puns. She happily obliges, whipping the no pun intended volume two out of her backpack. For having the closest uh, thing to fun this series allows, when of course a guy appears behind them and lobs a flash grenade their way. Joel sees the explosive right before it blows. He and Ellie are knocked down. Then men with the guns approach and take her as they knock out Joel. He wakes up in a hospital room, a firefly symbol on one of the first things he sees. Marlene is there and she apologizes that the patrol didn't recognize them. Ellie is fine, she assures them and thanks them for keeping her safe, but she won't let Joel see her because she's being prepped for surgery. Marlene explains that the doctor's working theory is that Ellie has had cordyceps in her since birth. She says it makes normal cordyceps thinks that she's the cordyceps. That is why she is immune. She goes on about how the doctor's plan to take out of Ellie and multiply her cells and labs and then produce something like a vaccine that could be administered to everyone, but Joel is focused on one thing. He says cordyceps grow inside the brain, inferring that harvesting those cells means killing Ellie. Marlene resolutely reminds him that there is no one there is no one else they can turn to, and they're not planning on telling her that she's submitting to her own death, mainly so she will not be afraid. Another this is another good Marlene moment as well, because she knows how this is her best friend's daughter, and sworn to protect and everything, and it's two people struggling with Ellie here with the save yeah. one versus the world kind of scenario here. But then again, in my mind being a father now, I would have done what Joel does. Like right. it not being a father, I could see me saying, Oh, you know, it's one versus many, but having children now and even seeing this bond that they very, very well portray on the TV, it's justified in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, Joel naturally rails against this decision and gets knocked down by one of the armed guards. Joel yells that Marlene doesn't understand, but she points out that she was there when Ellie was born, and I'm the only one who understands. I'm sorry, I have no other choice. She instructs her man to walk him out to the highway and leave him with his backpack and Ellie's knife. If he tries anything, shoot him, she said. Of course, Joel tries something. He's Joel. Angry Dad kills both of his guards in the stairwell and then slowly makes his way through the building, murdering everyone he runs into. One man surrenders and puts his weapon on the ground, but Joel kills him anyway. Eventually, he picks up one of the fallen fireflies assault rifles and lays waste to anyone he comes across. This scene was wonderful. This is, of course, the thing that you know we've hinted at in the past. Things that I was very curious to see how they did. But what I was not expecting was a theme music overlaid with some more, um, more instruments and more somber tones. Like, of course, you had the, the guitar uh, man keyed and played. But then they had like other music, like drums, and then it's like, oh, it was very well done. And I, I enjoyed how they did this. Um, he switched to a handgun by the time he arrived to the pediatric surgical unit, which is one-to-one from the game, might I add. Uh, he finds, let's see, he finds Ellie anesthetized and in a hospital gown laid out on an operating table. Unhook her, Joel orders, and when the surgeon refuses and grabs the scalpel to defend himself, Joel shoots him in the face. When the surgeon refuses to uh, grab, well, let's see, he commands the other medical staff in the room, one of whom is Laura Bailey, 
if uh, if you, no one knew, who voices a pivotal character in The Last of Us Part Two, to turn their backs to him. Then he scoops up Ellie, who's still unconscious, and takes the elevator to the parking garage. The doors slide open to reveal Marlene waiting for him, gun drawn. You can't keep her safe forever, no matter how hard you try. Arguing that he's ultimately hurting Ellie by taking away the chance for a cure and that could set the whole world right again. Joel is not immune to what she's saying. It definitely seems like he's struggling with his emotions and his decision as Marlene promises that we could still find a way and puts down her gun. The next thing we know, he's driving. Ellie's in the back seat. As she starts, and starts to wake up. He says uh, that there were dozens of people like her at the hospital, all immune, and that the doctors tested them and couldn't make anything work. They've stopped looking for a cure, he lies, compounding the fabrication when he explains that Raiders attacked, which is why they didn't have time to stop and get her clothes. He confirms that people got hurt, and she, she wonders if Marlene is okay. Joel's eyes gets a little misty as he says, I'm taking us home, he tells her, that's all he said. Ellie is still a little out of it, but awake enough to know something smells fishy. She turns over to, uh, so we can't see her face in the rearview mirror, and Joel whispers, I'm sorry. Flashback throughout this scene eliminate the truth. He shot Marlene but didn't kill her. She begged him to let her go, but Joel had no mercy. You just come after her and put a bullet in her head. Their car breaks down in Wyoming on the five-hour hike back to Jackson. Joel is the chase of Kathy's going on about how he and Sarah used to hike and how she and Ellie would have gotten along. Um, they come to a rise and see Jackson in a distance, but before they continue on their way, Ellie has something to say. Back in Kansas City, you asked me about the first time I killed someone. She says, she tells them about getting bit at the mall with Riley and fills in what we didn't see in episode 7, which we didn't even get this in the game. That she had to kill Riley when the fungus took over. Mm-hmm. Ellie clearly feels guilt about Riley and Tess and Sam, everybody in her orbit who's died in the past few months. Joel attempts to comfort her by talking about how some things don't work out the way you hope, but quote, if you just keep going, you find something new to fight for. Let's see. He's and, uh, Ellie says, swear to me. Swear to me that everything you said about the fireflies is true. He says, I swear. Uh, she doesn't believe him. You can tell by her face. She knows he's not telling the truth. But she nods, says, okay. And we fade to black. Yeah. <sighs> Listen. Season one of The Last of Us. I did not expect this show to be this good. I did not expect it to be one-to-one as much as it was. And this quickly became my top five favorite shows of all time. Just because of how well everything was, how well the story was. I mean, hell, episode three with Bill and Frank, I was not expecting to be as good as it was. Uh, and and just and Bella Ramsey and Pedro Pascal made this show what it was as much as the directing and everything else did. Mm-hmm. I absolutely loved it, and I don't think they could have done it better. Like, to me at all. No. Um Ditto. Yeah. It, this show's one of the favorites of any that we've covered for sure. Um, I was curious about a couple of things. I'm kind of wondering if if uh, if they had to kill Anna. Because who's to say that she, did, that she also wasn't immune? Right. Now, it was probably the fact that uh, he was probably bit... And a little of that made it through the umbilical cord. Right. But just enough to for her body to build up an immunity. But that's asking a lot of a baby's immune system. Right. Um, and at the end, yeah, I thought they did a good job, too, of pointing out in the, um, uh, what do they call it, 
the the little bit after the the special features basically after the, the little re- yeah the little it's behind yeah. the scenes thing that uh this is one of those occasions where the parent the parental figure has to lie because it's what's mm-hmm. best and uh, which, what's it, crazy to me is because that's a whole a good first part of the premise of the, the last of us part two is her struggling with this one lie which is a pretty right. big one and it's ultimately it was her choice to make but marlene took that choice away from her and technically mm-hmm. so did joel by waking her up or taking her yeah. away so yeah although you could certainly argue that what he did was justified because of what marlene did right i mean she wasn't made aware you know this is it's it's funny how it ties into stuff that's going on in the real world right it's 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 very much a my body, my choice right. thing. She wasn't made aware of all the consequences. Hmm. She intended to donate blood. Yeah, and be studied. Not because yeah. the whole plan was to you know donate blood, get tested, and then go back to Jackson as a family. Yeah. Yeah. And but they're like, no, we're just gonna cut your brain out of your head and study it instead, which is messed up. But yeah, very. Uh, I loved it though. I, it's, I actually waited. It was tough too. Cause I wanted to watch it. I couldn't watch it the night of the Oscars. Right. But I wanted to watch it the next night and I thought, no, I need to wait. So I didn't watch it till Saturday morning. Oh, I couldn't wait that long, <laughs> but it was worth the wait. Yeah. It was definitely worth the wait. So, and this is one that they're already announcing a steel book for, um, yeah. and the UK, which it better come here. It's all I'm saying for the U.S. And it's, I think they said June or July is when the pre-orders are going to go up for it. Yeah, I saw the 4K pre-orders. Yeah, I want one. Uh, announced. Because that's... Uh, I want one, and if I ever meet Bella Ramsey or Pedro Pascal whenever we do these cons we go to, that's probably what I'll get them to sign out of anything. If we ever get to go back. Yeah, if we ever get to go back. If they ever come to Nashville. Like, I mean, I don't understand that. Um, quick numbers from all of the weekly premiere viewerships. Of course, this is day one, all except for episode five, but we'll get there. Episode one drew in 4.7 million viewers. Episode two bumped to 5.7 million. Episode three bumped to 6.4. Episode four bumped to 7.5. Episode five bumped from 7.5 to 11.6, but this also counts from Friday to Sunday night because this was the one that released on Friday because of the Super Bowl. So they included the whole weekend, and that's why it's such a huge jump like that. Episode 6, we get back to normal, 7.8 million. Episode 7 dips a little bit to 7.7 million. Then episode 8 was 8.1 million, and then episode 9 bumped to 8.2 million. That's 8.2 million, Chris, when the Oscars are on. Mm-hmm. So man, that's a huge number. Well, no, nobody was getting slapped this year. So. Right, and they kept security very tight, and you know they're not going to have an incident like that. Um so from episode one to 4.7 million, we bumped all the way to the finale of 8.2 million. So I think it's a success. Mm-hmm. Um, I was watching a lot of Neil Druckmann interviews because he was on Kind of Funny on Monday. And he's talking like season three is already confirmed because he's, he's talking like that, although he's, yeah, there's nothing been confirmed yet. He said, but I, I like to think to believe, and Craig and I like to think to believe, that there's going to be a season three of this. So, that being said, uh, if you don't want any Last of Us season two 
uh, or part two things spoiled for you, skip ahead to a little bit till we change to Superman Lois logo if you're a video, or skip ahead for a little bit on um, audio. The Last of Us Season 2 is all from Neil Druckmann and Craig. Amazing. Will be different than the games. Bella Ramsey will return as Ellie. There will be much more infected. Because apparently a lot of people had a, had a complaint that there wasn't enough infected in this show. And I'm like, it's not necessarily about the, the clickers and stuff. As much as it right. is about the story between these two characters. Uh, they have a lot in that one episode, though. Yes. That was a lot of them. Episode 6. When they came crawling yes. out of the ground. Well, they came, we had the, the bloater and everything, which was wonderfully done. Uh, season 2 will not cover the whole second game. So that's why they want Season 3. Because I, I, I think I know exactly where they're going to split it up at. Um, filming could start, could start later this year, although Bella Ramsey thinks it's going to start um, 2024. Uh, new kinds of infected will be coming. We'll expand upon the children, the tendrils system that we got included early on. We also could see the inclusion of spores. We will see the Abby and Ellie changing perspectives. We will have more side character stories, just like Bill and Frank. The release date will be likely around end of 2024, beginning of 2025. There will be a time skip between the two seasons, between season one and season two, which there is in the games. Joel and Ellie's relationship post-season one ending will be heavily explored and it will cover Ellie's violent path. So, overall, Man. though, listen, season one, banger. Like, I just, this is our first Sunday night not having it, and it's one of those weird things when you come off of that kind of stuff. Like, you're just, oh, I can't wait for this next episode. Oh, yeah, we're done. So. Well, Tyler, you have March Madness, so. That's true. It's, there's been a lot of upsets in that. Like, yeah. there, are, there are no perfect brackets anymore. That ended yesterday morning or yesterday about noon. So, but let's talk about another show we have not talked about in a year. I guess it's been. Yeah, I guess it ended in May last year. Yeah, Superman and Lois, season three. We're going back to our website that loves to cover this nerdy stuff, nerdsandbeyond.com. And this is by Haley, which of course is, does all of our reviews for most of our like our Titans and stuff like that. Um, let's see. Uh, let's see. All right. It's been 27 days, less than a month since Allen Alston's defeat. Jordan's been practicing his flying and John has been practicing his driving. Clark and Lois are back working together and Lana is fully embracing her role as mayor. Meanwhile, Sarah is trying to adjust to life post-Jordan breakup while her parents finalize her divorce. We see Clark and Lois in bed together at Tal at Tal's villa, something they've been doing a lot more of this past month. Lois is sniffing out the potential connection between the John Henry of their Earth and Bruno Mannheim. Though Clark and Lois have two twin boys, that was because of the effects of Crisis on Infinite Earths and not because a Kryptonian and a human can make a baby. Well, can they? After Lois speaks to John Henry's sister about her brother's murder, she slips in that Lois could be pregnant and wants to run a couple more blood tests. This was a very cool... I didn't think we were going to get until later on because of the trailers that we saw. But I'm glad we tackled this the first episode. Lois, of course, takes this news to Clark and they both seem relatively hesitant. They have two teens on the cusp of being 16. Can they really handle a newborn? Nonetheless, like the gold star husband he is, Clark purchases a few pregnancy tests and runs into John Henry. One of my favorite scenes from this episode. Just like such a very um, 
earth and human and normal dad experience. And so there he's got like six different pregnancy tests. And the, I feel like it was a, I feel like Tyler Hecklin and I'm sorry, I forget who plays John Henry. I feel like their relationship, like they, they work a lot better. Like more cohesively now. I mean, they've been together for three years at this point, but yeah. I, like I feel like it was not so much a a moment between Super McClark Kent and John Henry, as much as it was the, the real live actors, because like you could tell it was just, it just felt very different to me in a very good way. So they share a few laughs, and he asks how the two of them are feeling, where he admits he's got reservations. Lois is in full baby mode after having drinks with Lana. She presents the idea of more children to Clark, and he can see her excitement and joy, and he mirrors it. The vibes are a bit strange at the twins' 16th birthday, but at least it won't stop Chrissy from partying like it's 1999. John, Jordan, and basically all of Smallville watch a slideshow of their greatest hits throughout the years, and Jordan can't help but sneak glances at Sarah. She eventually approaches him, asking if he's ignoring her. He wants to be with her, but she doesn't want to be with him, so she's trying to save the awkward tension. But Sarah doesn't want that to hinder their friendship. She's still the only person that knows its secret, his secret, and she cares about him as a friend. She just needs space and time. Speaking of space, John is desperate for his own thing. With football no longer being an option, he turns to driving, determined to pass his test. He gets a bit of anxiety from Lois giving him helpful tips, but ends up passing the test anyways. Tal's gift is getting put to use after all. I completely forgot where their trucks came from, by the way. Like, I know they said they sold um, Jordans. But Jonathan's I was like, that's a really nice truck. And Jamie and I cannot figure out where that came from. Okay, that makes more sense. That was at the very end of that season. I forgot all about that. Um, Chrissy barricades herself inside the Kent home out of embarrassment, but Kyle soon joins her on the hunt for something to help fix Clark's ribs. They get to talking and share a tender moment between them, which leads them waking up in a bed next to each other and Chrissy trying her best to sneak out undetected. Kyle wakes up as she furiously, uh, furiously puts on her clothes and runs down the whole morning after spill. You know, this whole, this can't happen, you're great, but that sort of thing. And he seems fine with it. A knock on the door interrupts them, and Kyle finds Lana on the other side with signed divorce papers. Lois gets a call from the doctor with the results of her test. It turns out she's not pregnant, but the signs are a cause of concern, so she wants her to keep coming in and run a few more uh, tests to, run, to get the cause. Sam takes Natalie to see a horror movie in an effort to get to know her better. He may not be her grandpa on this earth, but that doesn't mean they still cannot be, be close. Unfortunately, when they arrive at the theater, Natalie quickly realizes it's more than just hanging out. He brings up sending her to school to Metropolis and working in the DoD Academy. Her talent is wasted in a place like Smallville. Natalie is hurt by this because she wasn't expecting an ulterior motive, so when she returns home angry and John asks her what's wrong, it sends him into dad mode. He confronts Sam, uh, Natalie's death, with uh, enough loss and grief in her life. She just wants people that she could call friends and family. Sam realizes the error of his ways and apologizes, which Natalie accepts over a slice of cake. After finding mold in the walls of the high school, Lana must decide how she's going to allocate the funds to fix it. She moves some money around, which angers Dean, who, conf who confronts her, which is, this is like one of the weird scenes, I feel like. Uh, he tells her she doesn't know what she's up against and that she can't mess with things she has no idea about. Um, the, uh, Haley says, hmm, working with the intergang Bruno, perhaps. But no worries, Lana's not scared or intimidated. She's certainly not going to back down. That was a very weird scene here. Like... Uh, he just rushes into the Kent farm, says this piece, and then leaves. I'm like, okay. Yeah. So it's um. Obviously, he had shady dealings. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking Lex Luthor. Ooh, because we still haven't got him yet this season. Right. And we know he's in it. And they even name dropped him. 
this season yeah. as well. So maybe maybe the money's being funneled right to Luther mm. or he's or he's cleaning money through the city. Yeah. Taking dirty money and and so yeah, something's going on. Mm. Uh, let's see. Clark finds himself in a showdown with Adelman, who was Henry Miller, yeah, the one who was in prison, who apparently got out on sympathy because he had a brain tumor with only weeks to live. He'd been out three months before confronting Superman in Metropolis. As Superman's trying to get him help, he gets shot down, but it's not with bullets, it's tech. Oh, and he's also in Suicide Slum, which is a neighborhood in Metropolis, as acts as a stomping ground to various DC superheroes. As Superman uses his hearing to listen in around the city, it's the perfect time for Bruno's henchmen to make the escape with Miller's body. He's taken back to wherever Bruno is hiding out and is injected and brought back to life with stable conditions. I've missed this show. As much hate as we give it sometimes yeah. at the end because of the breaks that they do, Yeah, I have missed this show. I don't miss the, fi- the, the filters, the overuse of the filters, but I do miss it. Uh, love Tyler Hecklin. I forget who plays Lois. I'm, I'll Bitsy Tillich. Mm-hmm. Uh, they like even more and it's like I said earlier with the guy who plays John Henry I'll look his name up in a minute but I feel like everybody on this crew and cast has got such a better chemistry now and I don't know what it is or what's going to be going on maybe some team builders uh, but that being said the new Jonathan actor much more believable for some reason to me and he he molds and fits better I don't know if it was the directing or the writing for him I feel like I don't know. I just felt like he was much more brotherly in this. Uh, he looks a little older, granted. He looks like in his young 20s than a 16-year-old. But um, just very, I don't know. Like I, I, The old actor was very, I don't know, animated, I guess. And not that good of an actor. I can't really say that because I'm not an actor. I don't know what goes into it and that kind of stuff. But I kind of prefer this Jonathan, and I'm curious to see how it goes for the rest of the season. And I'm hoping that this is not the last season of Superman and Lois, because we do not have confirmation of what Peter and um, James want to do with this show. But I hope it's not to end it. And we have not like heard how they're writing at the end of the season, because they're obviously still filming it and writing it. But I just hope it's not the end. All right. A um, couple things. So... The wishy-washiness of Sarah, right? Yes. She's like, she's like, well, I, she goes from telling him, I only see you as a friend, to I just need some time. Right. Which is a mixed signal. I really Which think is, they're going to make her, I'm hoping they don't make her into like a, like a, just a bisexual character. Like, I, I really hope they don't go that route like they've done with a lot of these CW shows. Where they are, you know, including everybody, which is great, but I don't want them to change this character just to, for, hey, we're going to change this character to this. Yeah, don't do it just to do it. Yeah. Like, it's, if it's that, if that's how they want to do it, they should have done it early on, not yeah. in season three or, you know, the end of season two, which yeah. I think how they did it in season two was fine. They said, hey, you know, I was a little curious. I, I made out with a girl, you know, I cheated on you. I've got these feelings and stuff like that. And it shows Jordan's character. He's like, Oh, he goes, well, I, I, it's okay. He goes, I am here wherever you need me to be. and But I just don't want them to to do that to her. I do like yeah. the the thought, though, because we even see in this where Lois and Clark are talking in the school uh, about the mold and stuff. Their, their best friendship. 
that they had early on. And mm-hmm. I really like their relationship. I think it'd be cool to see those families combine with Jordan and Sarah, eventually dating still, getting married down the road, like way down the road and stuff like that. I was, I think that'd be a good, you know, your uh, my best friend's daughter is dating and marrying my son kind of thing. It's kind of a cool way to do it. I still want Jonathan right. to have powers. I don't think that we're going to do that with the show anymore. And I just hope we're wrong. I, I was very curious, right? Because we, we, we saw the tire swing in the... Uh... Mm-hmm. in the family footage and i was like what if they accidentally included footage of jonathan just like throwing it and knocking it down yeah yeah but that's that's the only that and his anger issues in season one with the other high school with the metropolis uh high school it's like the only inkling we've had of him having powers but other than that like it's been pretty hush hush and nolan void really so I'm curious to see what happens. Although his ex-girlfriend, uh, who was dealing drugs, was back in this episode. I don't know if you noticed that or not. Yeah. So I thought it was really cool to kind of yeah. keep that actress going. Because I could easily just cast somebody else and say, oh, you know, it's just another girl at the school. But I kept her in the show. So yep. listen, Superman and Lois I'm excited about. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's one of those I can't wait for episode two or the next episode. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully they don't do any breaks this season. And we can just run through it, except for like holidays or something like that, maybe. But it's right. Tuesday, so it doesn't really compute there. But I mean, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But well, Mondays, right? Tuesdays. It's Super Tuesday with oh, that's right. uh, Superman Lois and Gotham Knights. Which, you can tell I don't watch it live. No, I don't either. I've got it on recording. So. <laughs> and that's also why I'm, I'm really excited to, to get the Season 2 in, to watch it on digital and or Blu-ray. Is because one because of the behind the scenes stuff, but two because of the um, the smoothness of it. Like YouTube TV records fine, but if you want 4K TV and high def and stuff, well, not just 4K TV, you get to pay extra, and I'm not paying extra for that. So on the Blu-ray though, it'll be crisp, yeah. clean. Don't because there's no such thing as 4K streaming. Yes. So. Because by the time the signal makes it to you, it's yeah below. It's not there. Test. No. So, all right, ladies and gentlemen, that was Superman and Lois. It is finally back, but something that is back. Oh, Lord. Or is, is not back, but is new. Gotham Lord Knights, <laughs> episode one, full-on spoilers. We're going to Nerds and Beyond, and ladies and gentlemen, we don't like it. So, we will see what the future holds, but we're going to talk through this recap. We'll probably do three episodes and decide to drop it or not. We'll see. We're going to nerdsandbeyond.com by Kalen this time. The series opens up with a narration by some random guy named Turner Hayes, the adopted son of billionaire philanthropist Bruce Wayne, who is not in the comics. Someone murdered Turner's birth parents, just like Dick uh, Grayson's. Some of this is obviously me imprinting this into this article. Uh, when he was a small boy, also almost mirroring Bruce's past. Perhaps there's a shared trauma, but Turner questions why Bruce picked him as he reveals a gold coin with an owl on its face. Turner walks over to a large bookcase with a hidden compartment, bringing Batman's mask out of hiding. While asking himself what other secrets his father had, the scene shifts to a fencing tournament. But as the narration continues, the young man admits that he has his secrets too, hinting at things to come, which I'm very confused about that because he had no secrets in no. this, this episode, like, at all. Um, 
Let's see. Turner notices his father's absence after his fencing victory, which inspires him to throw a blowout party at the manor. The party is wild. Everyone from school in there, even a young lady by the name of Carrie Kelly, a quiet, sweet girl who managed to stop a large vase from falling to the floor. Turner introduces himself. The two seem to be hitting it off. Are interrupted by Cressida. 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 Turner's caretaker, which is so annoying. The woman is less concerned about the party, but informs Turner of the two kids kissing in Bruce's off-limits billiard room. But as it turns out, the culprit is Turner's best friend, Stephanie, with Brody, the boy he beat at the tournament. It becomes very clear that these two boys do not get along. The scene jumps to Wayne Tower, where Bruce is supposed to be. Three young thieves sneak into the heavily secured building. One picks the lock to Bruce's office, gaining access. The group is on a mission, searching for something specific, going straight for his vault, which someone emptied. Duella, which is also a, not the comics. The leader wasn't upset. She wasn't after cash, but the .38 caliber gun that killed Bruce Wayne's parents. Duella grabs a gun from the vault, noticing the warm barrel. The robbing was set up for something sinister. Suddenly, they are surrounded by helicopters and spray painted across the window, and bold letters read, Your bat is dead. Laying down below it on the sidewalk is the lifeless body of Bruce Wayne. The team of thieves starts to escape when the Gotham PD shows up with District Attorney Harvey Dent, a friend of the Wayne family played by Misha Collins. The shocking scene reveals Bruce wearing the infamous Batman mask, indicating the murderer knew who he was. Inside Wayne Tower, police officers catch up with the thieves, but their guns don't stop Duella. The young woman is skilled in combat, takes down the two officers in seconds. The three escape to the back of the building, the building and hotwire police vehicle to avoid arrest. Back at the Wayne Manor, the party is interrupted by police sirens. Harvey meets Turner at the door, having to break the terrible news about his father. When the party clears, Harvey informs the grieving boy that his father was Batman. Turner confides to Stephanie about his father's true identity. The shocking news leaves him angry and confused and enraged. Turner throws a bottle across the room. The room goes silent except for the sound of dripping. The two friends follow the sound, finding a hidden door. This is me speaking now. Uh, to the Batcave. Behind a very pushable stone that anybody could have bumped into or pushed. Yeah. Someone could have easily leaned against that. Not at all suspicious little stone archway with a book on a pedestal. Right. Not suspicious. Like, if that would be the first thing I would have went to if I was in this room. It's, oh, this is a cool book. What's this for? It accidentally bumped the thing to open the door. Mm-hmm. Come on. Um, there, there, There's a lot of these moments in here. Um, I would like to point out Duella's wig. Horrendous. You can easily tell it's a wig. And I'm tired of these wigs on these shows. Like, I looked at her, like, I looked up on IMDb, hasn't really acted much. But she's got normal long hair. Just dye it. Yeah. Why? Why? Why are we putting a wig over her head? I will say this about her performance, though. She she is very good. Came across really well. She is yeah. very good. And one of the notable good actors, but the bar is low. For the show so far, like the kid that plays Turner, I, I'm it's just e- I can't get into it. It's easy to stand out on the show. Mm-hmm. It, it's the, that's the nice way to put it. Like the guy that plays Turner, they they directed him, and it's I don't want to say it's his acting skills again. I don't know what goes into acting, so I don't know these things. But he was very like it flipped a switch after the the he saw his Batman. He starts becoming very brooding and very stoic. And very, you know, jaw clenched. Like everything you see him, like every scene you see him, he's very, like, I'm like, 
Like, why? Like, this is this is unjustified at this point. Like, I don't understand any of this. All right. Get back to the episode. The funeral is now underway, and the news along with the entire city is there to celebrate the life and death of Bruce Wayne, who they now know as their beloved Batman. Adults and children line the streets, some dressed in costumes, others holding sign. Uh, while the ceremony unfolds, the Gotham PD catches up with the three fugitives accused of killing the mess vigilante, bringing the trio into custody for questioning. Harvey meets up with Turner before leaving the cemetery, informing him of the good news. However, Turner finds no peace in their arrest, needing to know more, like who put them up to it. Uh, another very, like, this show is very filtered, and we mm-hmm. talked about it before um, we started recording. Like, my wife and I watched this, and it's, Gotham is very justified in their use of filters for their camera shots. Um, it's a little bit more believable than Superman is. Superman uses like a heavy yellow all the time on their show. But this one was like very blue, very overcasty looking and stuff like that. Even the funeral scene, which you could tell is heavily filtered because Misha Collins, who plays Harvey Dent's uh, suit coat, is really red. But like they toned it down so much, it was like a dark red. It was very, and it also stood out because everyone else is in black. So. Whatever. I guess we're trying to, hey, make sure you pay attention to this character kind of thing. All right. Duella and her partners, the brother-sister duo of Colin and Harper Rowe, are now undergoing excruciating interrogation by Detective Ford and Harvey. Duella was born inside an Arkham Asylum in and out of juvenile detention with a mile-long criminal record. Harvey presents a playing card with a Joker on it, revealing that she is the child of the Joker himself. Again, I don't know if this is in the comics or not. I don't really pay attention that much. But I don't think it is. Um, but, you know, kind of cool. Turn to find out, though. Not Harley Quinn's daughter. No. We find out. Which, she has a lot of... And again, uh, the actress that plays Duella, great job. Because she was very Harley Quinn-esque and Joker-esque in this. But not Harley Quinn's daughter. So, I guess it's all Joker-related, um, her many reasons. Which I, I really enjoyed. Um, Harper and Cole lived in a house full of abuse from their father. Their mom left, so their dad turned to his kids. Harvey and Ford don't agree on their motive or who put the kids up to the murder. Cole admits to needing the money for himself and his sister. While they can't decide, Duella did it for greed or revenge for her father. In this world, um, Batman uh, murdered the Joker, which is in a killing joke and a lot of other things. So we are running, we are rolling with that one. Uh, it's also Titans, it's, uh, season three. So we're still running with that. While at school, Turner gets into an argument with Brody, who begins taunting him about his dad. Brody argues how weird it is that the men who killed Bruce Wayne knew he was Batman, but Turner didn't. Though it caused Turner to think instead of waiting for the GCPD to find the people who killed his dad, why not use the Batcave to solve the murder himself? Which is what I would have done. Um, and see, Turner and Stephanie leave school together, returning to the Batcave, and it turns out that Stephanie isn't just his best friend, but also a hacker. A little convenient. Stephanie tries to hack the Gotham City National Bank to find cash withdrawals and under what names. However, the young woman underestimates the power of the Batcave computer system and winds up hacking every bank in the city. During the search, they find 17 cash withdrawals made under Turner's name to the killers, setting him up. And before they can inform the police about the fraud, they've already shown up at his home to arrest him. After Turner gets into police custody, Harvey confronts Detective Ford, believing Turner did not do it, but Ford's adamant that Turner did, using his parents' unsolved murders as a historical pattern. Ford continues to add that Bruce wanted to change the beneficiary on his last will, which Ford believed was his motive. Then, to add salt to an open wound, Harvey drops the bombshell news that his attorneys no longer want to represent Turner in this case. 
Harvey then hands over a 6th century Athenian gold coin found at the crime scene. Ford soon interrupts the conversation to move Turner to the jail cell. He shares with Duella, Colin, and Harper. Duella especially was not pleased to see the Bat Brat, which I love some of these names. Uh, and once Harper accused him of setting them up, the real trouble began. Colin and Harper argue, causing Duella to fight with them and Turner to fight with Duella. Duella then turns around headbutting Turner in the face. The four end up getting to a brawl, alarming the guards. When they do show up, Duella fights with them right before being separated. And while that is happening, Harvey has a moral dilemma. Does he rescue himself from the case, or as a DA, does he convict Turner, who is, a ne- who is like a nephew to him? He also wants to be governor, making the decision more complicated. Turner, Duella, Harper, and Cullen soon start transportation into another facility in an armored vehicle surrounded by cops, which this is also another scene that's very annoying for me. Every time they showed the, the inside or the back of that van, it was clearly in a room. Not a van, or there is barely walking room. Anyways. Uh, Duella reveals that the fight that they had at the jail was fake and they only did to take uh, items off of the cops they could use to remove the handcuffs. They understand that none of them killed Bruce but are afraid of being killed by whoever did. Now they need to work together to get away before the killers finish what they started. The transport is now taking place and Duella strikes Ford who is in the truck with them by messing with her cuffs while Colin and Harper work on moving theirs. Colin attacks Ford from behind as Harper attacks the guard with pepper spray. Ford loses his gun. Colin gets a hold of the bat and stick and continues to attack Ford until he can't move. They free Duella from her cuffs, offering Turner the choice to escape with them and offer he doesn't pass. Duella attacks the second guard, getting a hold of his taser gun using it on the driver, causing the vehicle to go out of control and crash. They're, they're, okay, let's just uh, blah, blah, blah. The play, uh, let's see. Turner intervenes as Duella takes forward to collateral, explains they can't prove they are killers if they kill, but Duella isn't as naive. She knows they don't care if they're innocent or not. Ford grabs the gun, proving her right. The police department is aiding the murderer to conceal their movements. Ford cocks the gun and aims, and when out of the darkness, a massive vigilante using Batman's same symbol uh, for battering rescues them. The stranger takes out the police cars, and each officer of the young hero is Robin, better known as Carrie Kelly from Trigg. Carrie found out Bruce Wayne was Batman by accident when mutant gang threw him off the roof of her apartment and she dragged him to safety. After that, she became his eyes and ears. The episode closes with the group seeking safety at Turner's secret hiding location, which is at the top of their skull. They discuss the situation when Colin shows the, them the watch he stole from Ford and embellishes the same symbol as the coin Harvey showed Turner earlier. Their street smart companion, uh, Duella, recognizes it right away. This design belongs to the Court of Owls, a dangerous outfit in charge of Gotham City. Nobody knows who they are. Nobody dares ask. Duella recites the poem, and the scene jumps to Grissetta, uh, burning Bruce Wayne's last will, and then to a parking garage where a man dressed head to toe in black decapitates Ford, which is the Talon, which is a very well done uh, from the comics adaptation. Yeah. So, speaking of <sighs> comics... Duella is in the comics. Okay. Uh, she first appeared as Joker's daughter pre-crisis in the Batman Family series. Um, she later claimed to be the daughter of Catwoman, the Scarecrow, the Riddler, and Penguin. She deduced Robin's identity, and he revealed she was Duella Dent, Two-Face's Ooh. daughter. So, obviously, they're not going with that here. Right. But... Yeah, she's one of the bright spots, um, acting-wise, of the show, I feel like. Yeah. Uh, the lady that plays um, Stephanie, the best friend, she uh-huh. was in All-American for a little bit. Saw another CW alum. I, I feel like she did great as well. She didn't get as much screen time, I feel like she should have. But she's obviously going to be the Batgirl character of the show, or as Oracle. Oh, yeah. Which... 
I'm very concerned to see who this Turner character shows up to be because he's obviously not going to be Robin, Nightwing, or any of those kind of kids. So, oh, uh. and and you know my my complaint about the upcoming uh, James Gunn Batman series was we still haven't gotten a proper Dick Grayson correct story. So therefore, we haven't really gotten a proper Jason Todd. Mm-hmm. We haven't gotten a proper uh tim drake right the titans the titans are doing a good job but we still we still did not get a proper origin story like we we essentially went straight to nightwing and they're getting canceled right so here we're now we're making up characters yes which this would have held a lot more weight if it was dick grayson yes and have have Jason Todd or have Tim Drake as the Robin who's in high school. Well, you could have and, even had Carrie still be the Robin that's in high school. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. it not, not a big deal with, with her, but it's very weird. And, like, they're making this Turner character very dumb, if you ask me, huh. because he never knew he was Batman, which right. is whatever. But if it was as close as I said they were, yeah, you know. In the in the timeline, he's already revealed his identity as Batman to Grayson, Todd, mm-hmm. Drake, Carrie. Right. right. She she knows. Um, by this random adopted kid. It's, right. Th- this show is is going to be very different, and I don't know how I'm I'm going to feel about it. I really don't. Like off this first episode, I'm I'm not sold. Like, I'm nowhere near sold. And this is what's crazy to me is because on this podcast, even on Hero Cravings, we've covered so many Gotham stories. Of course, Gotham being the number one of our, and both of our favorite uh, Batman stories, or whatever you want to call it, really. Um, we've also had Titans. We've, <laughs> and now we've also had Batwoman, which we didn't really cover on, the, on this show, but we've had, you know, Crisis and things like that. But, and now we've got this. Another iteration and very poorly done, like very poorly done. The only, the only thing that I can think of, and I hope this is the case, is they were told by the bosses at DC, we're not going to let you use these characters, right? Because we've got other plans for them. That, this is what. We are now in a James Gunn and Peter Safran world. I don't see this, as of right now, going past season one. I can see them going, we we are wanting to deliver top-tier content, and this is not it, even for a CW show. I don't know that it all of season one airs. Ooh. Uh, that might be yeah. dependent on the contract with CW. Right. I just, it's, it's, it's a rough show. Like there's not really much that intrigues me besides Talon, which is a very cool court of owl storyline, like villain, um, which is a very big Batman villain. Not so much Gotham Knights, but it's very weird because you got the Gotham Knights video game that also did not do well. And you like, there's nothing different differentiating the names between the game and the TV show. And so it's very hard to the Google things because when you type in Gotham Knights, it pulls up the video game or it pulls up the TV show. It's just, 
Mm-hmm. Um, this is not very well implemented, and I don't not see it doing doing well. Period. I don't. Not at all. No, I mean, I would have rather them taken the money they put into this and given us a fifth season of Titans. Correct. And they should have. Yeah. But uh, notable news for um, these past two weeks: we had John Berthal returning as a Punisher in Daredevil: Born Again. Excellent. Bring it on. And give us the official announcement for Jessica Jones. Correct. Luke Cage, Iron Fist. I mean, let us know something. Unless they're going to do like surprise cameos. I still, I still think they are. But maybe John Thor returning as uh, John Burnthal returning as the Punisher is excellent. Mm-hmm. Releases this week, Friday, March 24th. Love is Blind season four starts on Netflix. Sunday, March 26th. The new season of Succession launches on HBO Max. And that's all for our TV. Well, that was a good chunk of our time. <laughs> was, yeah, yeah. Was all those TV shows, which is excellent. Well, everybody, thanks for listening. Uh, <laughs> thanks for coming, stopping by. <laughs> we have nothing else to talk about. No, we uh, we'll get into films now. So, first up, have you watched anything else? I did. I watched Shazam again for the first time since it came out on Blu-ray oh, and digital. Damn. And love that movie. Uh, I'm actually looking right now to see what I gave it on Letterboxd. Because it's been a minute since I've seen put it in here. Uh, four and a half is... No, four stars is what it is. Yeah. So, which is great. I just I love Zachary Levi. And his humor is great, too. So, I like, I like uh, what they're doing with it. But that was it. I what about you? Watch, you anything? I only watched one other movie this week. I watched Lizzie. Lizzie? Is the Lizzie McGuire? Uh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> so it's a movie based on Lizzie Borden, you know, hmm. the alleged axe murderess who killed her father and stepmother. It's not been officially proven yet. Uh, well, she was acquitted by a jury. Uh, they did not believe a woman could commit such violent crime. They obviously didn't have yeah. the Discovery ID channel back then. Correct. They obviously had no idea. <laughs> um, but it stars Chloe Savigny and um, um, oh damn, I'm forgetting. Her. I'm blanking on her name. She was in the Twilight movies. Uh, Kristen Stewart. Yes, they. Uh, Kristen Stewart plays Bridget, the housekeeper. And Chloe Savigny plays um, uh, Lizzie Borden. Hmm. It's actually a pretty, it's a pretty good movie. Um, I think I gave it three and a half stars, which if you've ever looked into it, first off, if, if you're interested and you're ever up in Falls River, Massachusetts, you can actually stay at the house, I think. I think it's still a bed and breakfast. I'm good. And uh, they've recreated the uh, at least they've they've got replica furniture uh, to match the sofa wh- where the father was killed and all that. Um, but yeah, good film. Don't watch it with your kids. Uh, it's not it's not super gory. There's a couple scenes, but there is a good bit of nudity towards the end of the movie because. Yeah. One of the things that um, they theorize is for her to have, com- for anyone involved to have committed these murders, 
if they were in the house there, someone who lived there, they almost had to have done it in the nude to avoid getting blood all over their clothes. Hmm. So they that's how they have them do it in the film. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. Anyway, on to our movie of the week. So we watched Shaz- Shazam! Fury of the Gods earlier today as we record this. Um, we're doing spoiler-free, so I don't want to reveal too much. Basically, um, they have to save the world again. Mm-hmm. Because some of the gods have returned. Let me get the names specifically here of the gods. So you had um, Lucy Liu was Calypso. And we had Helen Mirren as Hespera. And then we also had Rachel Zegler as Anthea. She was great. I I really enjoyed her. All three of them really were really well done. These were the daughters of Zeus. Daughters of... uh, uh, Right? It was daughters of... God, I can't remember. uh, Atlas. Daughters of Atlas. Daughters of Atlas. And they basically... Well, it really was Lucy Liu, her character, Calypso, that wanted to take over Earth. Mm -hmm. Um, Get revenge. Yeah. So the, the movie's essentially... Uh, our heroes trying to stop that from happening. That's the yeah, broad as you can probably get with it. <laughs> yeah, spoilers on it. Um, yeah, I I really enjoyed this movie, and I said it many times since I've been home, and I told you once before we start recording. I want to go watch it again. I don't think it's it's deserved of the the critic and box office reviews that it got on Rotten Tomato and things like that. I just don't I I don't feel like the people that were viewing this are the target audience. Like, I feel like this is a, a superhero movie more so for like teenagers. And I, I don't mean that like saying it's a kid's movie or anything like that. I just feel like it's, that's what it's kind of targeted towards because right. it's a very jokey, uh, coming to terms, coming to age kind of movies and stuff like that. Heck, uh, Billy Batson is five months from 18. And, yeah. and so is, you know, dealing with that with his foster family, and, you know, being a superhero on top of that and not wanting things to change. And I just admit, I really enjoyed this. The story was pretty good. There were some surprises I had no idea about. There was one um, at the end that I, I audibly said holy shit to because I was not expecting. And, like, it was a very, very good moment. The, the end fight, very, very, very well done. And was very superhero-esque. Uh, there are two post-credit scenes. So if you are going to watch this, make sure you stay for both. The majority of our theater left after the first one. Which was also a very big shocker. And I hate that we don't know if this is going to continue on. Which I hope it does. Because I really like um, David Sandberg and Zachary Levi with this film. And I feel like they can only do, make the DCU better. Right. But just And just to give... Just to give you guys that haven't seen it yet something to watch for when you go uh, actually watch it. Um, I looked up some trivia here. I didn't notice this. If it's one so, thing, I might have noticed it. David F. Sandberg mm-hmm. was also the director. Yes. 
of a little film called Annabelle Creation. Mm -hmm. That doll is in a chair at the pediatrician's office. I didn't even notice that. Not creepy at yeah. all. They hit they they the doll on the set. And interestingly, Grace Caroline Curry, who plays Mary, is in both films. Oh. Also, in this film, she also played her superhero yes, self. Yes, I did notice that like early that on. Was, She's... That was not the case in the first one. Nice baddie there, by the way. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, so, now, they do note this film was announced just a week after the first one opened in theaters. Oh, I forgot about that. So, I don't think that's going to be the case. No, I... I don't okay, think so we're good. Yeah, I don't think we're getting news this week about that. But, but James yeah. Gunn said he enjoyed it too. So they said it was one of his favorite DCEU films. And it a lot of it does play off as a DCEU film, but I, I mean, I really enjoyed this and I want to go watch it again. And I cannot wait to get the still book of it so I can continuously watch it and see the behind the scenes stuff. And I just, I mean, I've been, I've loved Zachary Levi as an actor ever since Chuck. He was always in the heroes. Was it reborn or whatever it was that spinoff show was? Reborn. And he does Nerd HQ, and he just he made a questionable comment about Pfizer recently, and it wasn't so much anti-vax. It was more so Pfizer is a bad company, and a lot of people took that to be oh he's anti-vaccine, which is not the case. He was just saying that you know don't don't put all your love for Pfizer. They're not the they're not a good company. So which. Right. It's fine. So, for man, it's everyone go watch this movie. Don't believe what the critics say. Make your own opinion. We say that with you know just about anything. Like I don't. I just think the people that reviewed it and it's like the people that reviewed the movies for Morbius and Venom aren't the target audience. And because you can always tell because of the how different the user scores are from the critic scores. And right. to this point, I want to. I probably am going to Google tonight. I meant to earlier what it takes to become a uh, Rotten Tomatoes uh, user reviewer because mm -hmm. I just, I don't know. Like you, ha you have to think of the target audience that it's, it's trying to serve and it's not right. the, your normal MCU crew. So, and like we were talking about before, I think the box office is just as much affected by the changes at Warner brothers. Yes. DC. People are thinking this isn't going to be connected. It could very well be connected. Mm -hmm. Especially um, just off that one mid-credit scene. Yeah. If they go forward with those projects. So, mm -hmm. but I, I recommend it. I want to go watch it again. If you if you want someone to go watch it with you, just hit me up. And if you're in the nearby area, I'll go. Because <laughs> I just, I do want to see this again. Although it did say at the end of the film, made for IMAX. And I do want to go watch it in IMAX. Yeah. So. Yeah. That'd be good. Um, I gave it three and a half. I give it a four and a half. I need to put that mm. on my my tracker here. But um, yeah, I would definitely go make up your own mind. Don't listen to the the naysayers. Yeah. Next week we're going to review Me Time, which is that's Netflix, right? Yes. Cool. cool. Kevin get Hart in. and. God, what's his name? Hey, uh, Mark, uh, Mark Wahlberg. Um, 
we haven't done a comedy here lately, so. Yeah, and, and we, we really need to get to one. Yes. We've had a lot of heavy movies recently. <laughs> a lot. And of course, next week we'll also do our spoilers. Yes. For Shazam. In notable movie news, well, how'd you get off with one TV news item and I got like six? Uh, just to tell it came across. <laughs> right. This is exciting news because this is one of the most in-demand actresses going right now. Mm-hmm. Beetlejuice 2 is in the works with Michael Keaton returning and Jenna Ortega is set to play Lydia's daughter. I'm excited. Gonna... Everyone's been wanting a Beetlejuice 2, right? Right. And Michael Keaton doing a bunch of acting recently, so this is exciting, but they could not have picked a better actress for her daughter than right. Jenna Ortega. And it's, if it's anything like her Wednesday character, it's going to be excellent. So Yeah. Should be another cult classic if they do it right. Also up, Zack Snyder's teasing a mysterious project with Darkseid coming April 28th to 30th. I'm very I, curious about this. Have you seen saw, these teases? I saw the Darkseid tease. Yes. The initial. I did see something after we left the theater. I was sitting in the parking lot, pulled up my phone, and something popped up. People are thinking that his films are going to get re-released in theaters that weekend. Mm. And that's what it is. Are we going to go if that's the case? or um, maybe. It just that's depends, also, I guess. <laughs> that's also NFL draft weekend, too. So. Oh, I mean, come on. Uh, you know, not a lot of good prospects this year. So, Right. <laughs> uh, James Gunn is directing Superman Legacy to be released July 11th, 2025. That's very exciting. Yeah. Good Burger 2 has been announced with Keenan Thompson and Kel Mitchell returning for Paramount+. Plus. Very excited about that one. They announced that on Jimmy Fallon uh, Friday night. It's going to be hard to beat the original. That is correct. Just saying. All right, and then we have our Oscar winners. So we're probably not going to go through all these. Um, but clearly we underestimated one particular movie. Yeah. They might as well have swept the competition here. Yeah. Uh, this comes from CBS.com or CBSnews.com and Jordan Freeman. Uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once completed its sweep of major industry awards at the 95th Academy Awards Sunday night. The genre-defying film took home the Oscars for Best Picture, Best Director, and several cast members oh it's one of these sites i'm getting a bunch of ads mm-hmm. several cast members earned individual acting awards jimmy kimmel returned to host the oscars for the third time with the ceremony being broadcast live from the dolby theater in los angeles everything everywhere all at once co-written and co-directed by daniel scheinert and daniel kwan came into the night with the most nominations and it already won the top prizes given out by the screen actors guild directors guild producers guild and writers guild the cast has also won accolades throughout awards season. Michelle Yeoh, Jamie Lee Curtis, and Kiwi Kwan took home individual Screen Actors Guild Awards before Kwan and Curtis went on to win Oscars for Best Supporting Actor and Best Supporting Actress Sunday night. And Yeoh was honored with the Oscar for Best Actress. Um, here we go. So it won Best Picture. Mm-hmm. Brendan Fraser from The Whale 
one best actor. I, that's I was okay with that, and the, yeah. so was the whole theater yeah. as well. Yeah, he was shocked. Mm-hmm. Um, best actress Michelle Yeoh, best directors the Daniels as they were known, uh, best supporting actor Kiwi Kwan. His speech was very beautiful. Like he was, I didn't realize this was his first acting gig in like a decade or something like that. It had been a while, and. He was his speech was I think the best speech of the night honestly, yeah, and very happy with him especially with uh, Harrison Ford giving him the Oscar for best picture at the end, that was yeah. a very 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 touching moment as well, and of course it's been all over the internet uh, this week so. Mm-hmm. Best supporting actress Jamie Lee Curtis. I I disagree with this one. I seriously think this should have been Angela Bassett, and so did she. I don't know if you noticed her yeah. reaction. Yeah. Everyone, I think a lot of people did. And then when Jonathan Majors and uh, Michael B. Jordan came out and gave their, um, I guess their, uh, what do they call it? Presenting. When they presented, um, that was a very, very good moment. And you could tell that they thought she should have won as well. Because yeah. Michael B. Jordan, which is Grace said, what he said, he said, hey, auntie, like he did in uh, Black Panther. And God, it was so good, man. And I uh, just, I, I need to watch Korea. <laughs> From a career perspective, I think both were deserving. Correct. It's just hard to match up against Angela Bassett and her performance. Uh, what? And that's the thing that as some people mentioned as well, which I, I agree with some things. Her best line delivery and everything was in the trailers for the movie. And I'm like, yeah, they kind of they could have kept that a little behind the wraps, but it was such a very moving speech that it drew crowds in. And I, she, I still think she should have won, personally. Mm-hmm. But that's just how I feel. Yeah. Uh, international film was all quiet on the Western Front. Best animated feature, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. That's I the one you that. watched, right? Yeah, so um, original screenplay went to everything, everywhere, all at once. Adapted went to Women Talking. Uh, Avatar did get visual effects. So, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. I know All Quiet on the Western Front got a lot of a lot of wins it, as well. Yeah, got cinematography and a lot of those. Black Panther did win for costume design. Which we've already, like Marvel's already won for. Yeah. And, which is just kind of uh, whatever. Like, I feel like it should have been nominated for a lot more, but it is what it is. Yeah. So there's there's a lot there. Our our pick early on got shut out. Elvis didn't win anything. Man, that, that kind of sucks. But did you, you, were you able to catch the, the red carpet with limited Austin Butler's accent? So, like, he he's still very much Elvis. Like, very much. And it's it's not like it's subtle. Like, it comes and goes, but it's more it's more on than it is off. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's unfortunate. But, I think one reason it's going to be hard for him to shake it was COVID. Yes. You know, he, he was already in Australia when COVID hit because they were getting ready to film. And he just when the restrictions went in and filming got delayed, he just 
stayed in character. Right. So now he's basically taught himself to talk that way. It's probably going to take him getting another role where he has to take on an accent mm -hmm. to get rid of that. And it's a very good kid. It was just very... Because I even texted you, I said, oh, he still has not lost that accent. <laughs> it's still on. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, releases this week. John Wick Chapter 4 comes out the 24th of March. Um, One of these days we're going to go through and watch those. Yeah. Um, they lost a uh, a member of the cast mm. this week. Yeah. I'll let you. Uh, I'll let you touch on that real quick. So we we'll talk before we get to gaming. So we had a very prominent um, actor, voice actor. I don't want to say personality, but uh, Lance Reddick from The Wire, uh, John Wick, Bosch, Fringe. Um, Angel has fallen. I mean, he's been in a lot of things. Notably, what I know him for is for my commander Zavala and Destiny. And he was also Silence in um, the Horizon series. And unexpectedly, 60 years old, Friday morning, um, they said died of natural causes. And I'm trying to see if I can pull the actual post from his wife let's see god i wish i could find it but it because you know this guy destiny one of my favorite games of all time commanders of all has always been that you know that constant and everything so it's very weird to not have him around anymore he was also a very avid destiny player and even so you can go and see people's stats and stuff online. And so this one user on Reddit went to the website and typed in his, um, his game ID and stuff like that. And it turns out he was even playing destiny the night before he died. He was grinding it like just everybody else does. And it's so fortunate he died, man. It's, I say from natural causes, I imagine it's from an embolism or a heart attack, but it sucks. Oh God, it sucks because he was on the press tour for, John Wick 4. And, but his wife, I wish I could find the post. Actually, I'll pull it up on Twitter. Because this just shows the, the community of, of Lance's. Um, so his wife posted yesterday on Saturday. He died Friday the uh, 17th. Lance was taken from us far too soon. Thank you for all your overwhelming love, support, and beautiful stories shared on these platforms over the last day. I see your messages and can't begin to express how grateful I am to have them. And this this lets me know how much the Destiny community meant to him, to his life, to his family, and everything. She put in his in the same post, in the same tribute picture, and to the thousands of Destiny players who played in special tribute to Lance, thank you. Lance loved you as much as he loved the game. And then, of course, donations may be made to momcares.org in Baltimore, which is his hometown. So, it just sucks. Like, I mean, he posted um, two days before his his death of him and his dogs because he's always posting dogs of Twitter and stuff like that, of his dogs, you know, barking at each other and stuff like that. Um, very active in the community, active on Twitter, loved his fans. 
Um, but yeah, it, it sucks. I hate it. It sucks. It sucks. It sucks. Destiny's not going to be the same without them. But we don't know what Bungie's going to do for the, for going forward. Horizon Forbidden West, whatever the third game of that is, is supposed to be very silence heavy. We don't know what that's going to look like. But right now, this one hurt. I think this one's probably the biggest celebrity death that hurt. Because I've audibly, not, I don't know, audibly cried the word. I cried Friday uh, a couple of times. And there's the this this voice line from the first Destiny game going around. It's what broke me. I'm trying not to let it break me again tonight. And I'll post it. Um, this is from our Commando Zavala. And this is a voice line from the game. It's just very, very, I don't know. Sucks. But that is yeah. life. Life is not guaranteed for the next day. So... Tell everybody you love them and be the best person you can possibly be every day because you're not guaranteed a tomorrow. And would you be, as a fan of his work in the games, would you be okay if they sort of, uh, I'm trying to think of the actual term here, but basically deep faked his part? No, I don't. I think would, ideally use the voice lines they have for him. If they want to continue going, because we're, you know, this expansion just happened. They've obviously already recorded and are doing things for the next expansion for next year, which is like the, the sum of everything. Um, you know, people on Reddit are saying no to recastings, no to deep fakes, which I am, I'm with as well. Use the voice lines you have, but um, people are saying kill them off in like in a sacrificing way in the game instead of recasting or doing something with him as far as uh like deep fake and stuff which i'm all about like it's let his work you know be remembered fondly of the game and you can still log into the game right now and people are because you can do different emotes and things with his character and the tower which is like the social hub and people are still like kneeling, um, sitting, doing emotes and stuff with Commander Zavala. And it's just very, I don't know, I've, I've never been a part of a gaming community that's done that. And it's very touching, very cool. And I just, I hate, hate, hate that we did not get that opportunity to go see him in Nashville. Because he yeah. was supposed to be here, I think it was March 2020 when they shut the pandemic down because we were going to go to Nashville Comic Con. I was going to have him sign my Destiny game. And unfortunately, it didn't happen. But, you know, it is what it is. And just got to keep going. So, yep. Um, I haven't played very many games this week. I tried Valheim, which came to Game Pass. It's, I don't think it was worth the hype, especially on Xbox. It's, does not look good and doesn't play good i don't feel like uh but if you're into that kind of survivalist bare nothing you start with nothing you build up from nothing then you'll enjoy that but other than that my weekly destiny stuff but you no chris have something Uh you have played this week i do i finished the quarry Mm. what do you think 
I really liked it. I got to the end. I didn't do as well as I wanted to. Uh, but it's when I finished Until Dawn, I was like, all right, I played it. I liked it. Right. But I was like, all right, time to go play other stuff. As soon as I finished this one, I was like, I want to play it again. <laughs> Get a different go. ending. <laughs> yeah, because in part, I broke it up over a few weeks, and I think I told you, because with one of the latest uh, system updates, you can now see your playtime mm. on on the main screen on the PS5. Yes. For under each title, it was only four hours. So the next time I've got that kind of time to just rip through something, that's what it's going to be. Yeah. I, that's a great feature because I think that was, that was just a new update this past week, I think. Yeah. Um, and of course, like I went and looked, I immediately went and looked like some of my Assassin's Creed games. 145, 150. Um, oh, no, no, then, no. And then on Valhalla, I st- I'm still uh-huh. at 164. Really? I think that's where I'm at. 164 hours of my time. Really? So I got depressed one night because. So you know one of my main games I play is Madden, right? Mm-hmm. I do mainly mainly franchise now. I was logging off and went back to the it might have been the very night that this update t- <laughs> took effect. Like six hundred and forty six hours. Oh only, you know. <laughs> Can you ever think of all this time we spent gaming and stuff, what what could have done? Learn yeah. learn an instrument, learn a new language. Man, yeah. I I honestly wouldn't trade it for the world though. I mean, it's. I miss the times, though, and I, and I've said this. I forget who I've told this to in the past, but I miss those being a kid, a teenager, not having or care in the world, coming home from school, and just sitting and playing a game, or like all weekend yeah. longer spring break. The Zelly was on spring break this past week, and I'm like she's doing thing with friends and everything, which is great. But my spring breaks, I sit in my bonus room play Call of Duty or whatever video game was out that year, nonstop from the time I woke up to the time I went to bed. Some people called me recluse. Some people called me, you know, uh, uh, nerd, all this other stuff. But then you were I just, loved it. And you were I dedicated. It. Yes. And I, and I miss every aspect of that. Like I have very fond memories of like winter break of New Year's Eve, um, going to IHOP, we went to IHOP with uh, my mom and stepdad at the time and ate dinner and then came home, played World at War again, Call of Duty, till midnight, um, got off at like 11 o'clock, went and watched the ball drop and came right back on the next day, technically next year, and played until 6 o'clock in the morning when the sun came up. And I said, okay, yeah. I'm going to bed. Went to sleep, woke back up about half through the day and kept playing. It's just... Uh, I don't know. It's it's one of those things, kids, that take everything you have and remember it fondly because things change and it's just, man, it's a heavy little end of the episode here, but it's time is crazy. Yeah. Life happens and you don't know you're living through the good times until you're looking back at it. So notable to lose for uh, September. Starfield has been delayed to officially come out September 6th with a showcase happening. I think it's June 21st. Um, 
which is going to be a full-on showcase of this, which I'm fine with. This is a big game. They can't afford for it to be bad. So right. take your time. Everything I've seen and the more stuff that I've seen from it, I'm like, okay, this is going to be a time suck. That Diablo 4 this year. But releases this week, The Walking Dead Saints and Sinners Chapter 2 for Retribution for PSVR 2, March 21st. EA Sports PGA Tour for PS5, Xbox Series, and PC, March 24th. And the Resident Evil 4 remake for everything but PS, wait, for everything except for um, Switch, March 24th. Which is getting a bunch of perfect reviews, by the way. So, um, I might play it on discount someday. Not anytime soon. I do want to play it, though, because it's an action horror. And I can get through that. And I love Resident Evil games I've played. So, But ladies and gentlemen, that has been your Oscar, post-Oscar, Oscar, post-Last of Us episode... Gotham Knights episode one and Superman and Lois review episode 106 of the Norway podcast. If you enjoy this episode, make sure you leave us a thumbs up on whatever social, on whatever platform you use. Uh, subscribe to us on YouTube and uh, podcasting service. Don't forget to share it on your favorite social media platforms and help get the, the word out. Thank you to all of our new subscribers for the week. Uh, we did get some there. So I appreciate you guys across YouTube and uh, podcasting. Uh, social media, you can follow the Nerdwide account at nerd underscore wine on Facebook and nerd underscore wine. Wait, and nerd, nerd underscore wine on Twitter. Sorry, let me double that back. And then Facebook, if you'll just search in Nerdwide Podcast or nerdwide.com, we're always the first thing that pops up on that search bar. So make sure you follow us on either one of those. That's how you, we relay information to you the fastest way possible. And there, if you want to get the episodes early, of course, go to uh, patreon.com slash nerdwide and follow us and subscribe to us there whatever tier you want to and ladies and gentlemen as always this has been this week's episode of the nerdwide podcast and we can't wait to talk some more gotham nights with you because that's the only show i'm looking forward to in the week that is a lie no. <laughs> no. can't wait to talk superman and lois with you next week ladies and gentlemen until then have a great week stay warm and we'll see you next week later guys <laughs>